This summer, since Aaron has been on sabbatical, we've been going through a series um, called The Pillars of the Local Church. And basically, we've been describing what the local church looks like, what, the, what we believe, how we act, how we go about being the church. So this week, um, I get the typical sermon that usually is not the, the funnest one to preach on, because this week we're talking about being committed to giving. And, you know, normally when you hear, you know, someone come up and say they're going to talk about a sermon on giving, you're like, oh, here we go. Let's buckle in. We're going to hear about how much money we need to give. But if you know me, um, I don't do things the typical way. And so that's really not what we're talking about today. We're going to be talking, um, I might mention, you know, tithing and giving in that, that form a little bit today. But we're going to go a little bit deeper and further than that. So today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Um, and we're going to have a good little chunk of scripture to read, but I think it's important that we read all of this. So I'll give you a minute to turn there, and we'll also have it on the screens as well. So we'll start in Second Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read 1 through 15, and then in chapter 9 we're going to do verse 6 through 15. So let me read this for us. Chapter 8 begins and says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he has started, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in a love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness is desiring it, readiness in desiring it may be, may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Now we're going to jump to chapter 9 and read a few more verses. Chapter 9, verse 16. Sorry, verse 6 through 15. It says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all these things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes for your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. So what, what's happening here, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. Um, and in chapter 8, he's talking about this other church in Macedonia, talking about these Macedonians. And he's, he's encouraging these Corinthians by their story. He says they are in a severe affliction. They are in, in extreme poverty. And, and through their joy, they, they, they gave, and they gave abundantly. And he's telling that to these Corinthians, and he's saying, I know y'all are true believers. I know y'all are going to give as well. And he's, he's basically just encouraging them for that. All of this for Christians that are in Jerusalem. So there's, there's three groups of Christians here we're talking about. There's the Macedonians, the Corinthians, and then the, the ones that are in Jerusalem. And the, 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 the Christians that are in Jerusalem are in the most need of help. The Macedonians are you know, a little bit higher up than them on their you know, needs of help. And then the, the Corinthians are doing all right. They're, they're, you know, they're not in, you know, excelling by any means, but they're doing okay. So out of the three groups, the, the Corinthians are, I would put it, better off than the other three. But still, it's, it's, a, it's a bad... It's a bad situation all around. The early church is, is in rough shape. It, it, it is thriving, it is growing, but it is tough, and it is hard. So that's kind of the, the background on what's happening here. And I know I read a lot of scripture, but I wanted to read it all because I'm going to keep jumping back to a few of them and picking out a few verses to look back at. But that's what's going on here. So today, like I said, we're not going to be talking about how, you know, how much money you should give the church and how much, you know, you should be doing this. And all. That's, not, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about giving. And the main idea that I, that I want us to get across today is that joy is vital to giving. Without joy, giving means absolutely nothing. And that's, that's kind of what I'm going to try to get across today. Um, so the first point we can see is, why do we give? And we're, we're going to start looking at this um, by looking at why they gave. Um, these, these Christians in Jerusalem needed help. Um, they, 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 they needed money to support each other. They needed, they needed physical help to, to build things and to help them out. They needed a lot of help. And so Paul is writing this letter to the Mas- He's talking about the Macedonians and these Corinthians. And he's, he's, he's telling them, hey, thank you for your giving. Please give. Um, they are giving because they are being persecuted. They were poor themselves. They were afflicted. They were in poverty, but they still gave. And, and, and the question you ask that is, why? Why did they still give? And, and it's very apparent in chapter 8, they gave because of their joy. That's the reason they gave. Um, chapter 8, well, I'm going to read that verse 2 again. It says, For in a severe test of, of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They exhibited this, this wonderful outpouring of, of giving despite being afflicted themselves. Despite being, like it says, being in extreme poverty themselves, they still gave. And, and looking, on the outside looking in, especially in today's world, you're like, well, why, why were they, like, they, they needed to keep. They needed to hold on to those things. They didn't need it. They were in a bad spot themselves, but they gave because of their joy. And, and their joy and their affliction, when we have, because we're called to have this joy that they had too. When we have this joy and affliction, it shows itself in the ability to give. Joy and affliction means that you're going to have joy in all things. If you're able to give in your affliction, if you're able to give in your poverty, in your tough times, that shows that you have joy in everything. So that's why they were giving this story. But why do, 
Why do we give? Why should we be a church that is committed to giving? Why should we be a people? A, why should you as a person be someone who is committed to giving, who is joyful in their giving? We give because there are needs. There, there, are, there are needs in this world that need to be satisfied. Um, they had needs. Others have needs. But they wanted to share their joy with them. We give because there are needs. Um, and what's crazy about this story, as I was reading verse 2 again, it's not just their, their joy that caused them to give. Their poverty did as well. If you read that verse closely, it says their abundance of joy and their poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Not just their joy, their poverty as well. And you think, okay, how does, how does their poverty cause them to give? And, and I think it, it can be summed up as this. The, these Macedonians that he's talking about, they gave because they had needs of their own that they could see, they could feel, that were tangible to them. They had needs. Therefore, because they had needs, because they were in poverty, they knew that God was a provider. Because they had these needs that were still being met, they had these issues, they could see that they needed someone to provide for them. Because they had needs, because they had joy in poverty, they could see that the Lord is a provider, and it caused them this great joy because of their poverty. If they were extremely wealthy, if he was writing to these Macedonians and they were living luxurious lifestyles and still, you know, following Christ, but living these luxurious lifestyles of, you know, not have, really having a needs, they really wouldn't see the need to give. They think, oh, life's pretty good. Life's all right. Why, why do I need to give? Um, if they were extremely wealthy, they would have been seeking joy in the things around them. They would have been seeking joy in, in the tangible things apart from the seeking joy in Christ. So we give because there are needs. We give because of his grace for us. We give because he, he saved us when we had nothing. When we had nothing to give, we had nothing to barter, nothing to trade. We, he saved us when we have nothing. In the depths of our sin, he has saved us. We also give because it's, it's better for us. In Acts 20, verse 35, it says, Remember, it is better to give to receive. And when you think about that, it's, that's a tough verse. You could do a whole sermon just on that verse. Because oftentimes when we think of giving, we think of being, you know, whatever we're, and we're going to go a little while later into talking about what we give. But when we talk about giving, we often think like, oh man, I better not think of how good this is, giving this to someone. I better not think about that because that's, ooh, that's going to turn it into real selfish if I think about how good it was to do this for someone. Or I better not, you know, this might boost my ego a little bit if I give. But, but in Acts twenty thirty five, it says, remember that it's better for you. Whenever it's tough, whenever you're, you're struggling to, to give, you're struggling to help someone in need, you're struggling to, to act out in faith and do something, remember that it's better. Why will we not pursue things that are better for us? It's better for us to give than receive. It isn't selfish because giving allows others to share in the goodness and the joy that we have. Our joy is increased when others experience it as well. When we give joy, others experience that joy, and it allows our joy to increase as well. So we give because there are needs. We give because of grace. We give because it's better for us. We give to be prosperous. And that's a, that's a, a fun word to throw around in, you know, Southern Baptist churches. It's, you know, there's, there's so much talk of this prosperity gospel. And it's, in, in, in Christianity in general, America, is this, there's a lot of talk of this being prosperous. But the prosperity usually that's talked about there isn't, isn't the prosperity that, that the Bible promises. But we do. We give to be prosperous. True, true prosperity is not giving in order to get more and to be wealthy. It's, it's not to get a return on your investment. It's, it's not to be paid back evenly or even with a little interest for what you gave. 
True prosperity is investing in joy. It's giving in order to lift others up and to bring praise to God. And I think it was John Piper that said, I couldn't remember exactly, but he has a quote that's somewhere along the lines that says, In God's economy of grace, generous giving to meet the needs of others is a means of investing in joy, our own and others. And to those willing to make this investment, God promises his all-abounding grace, so we will have all sufficiency at all times for every good work he calls us to. We give to be prosperous as well. As we give, others will receive that gift, will receive joy from it, and it should grow our own joy as well. One of the last ways, we, uh, why, for why we give is we don't give solely to make poverty and affliction disappear. That's, that is a, a result of a giving a lot of times and a result of, of, of working hard and, and building others up. That is a result of it. But that's not the primary motivation for it. If you read this chapter 8, he doesn't say that the Macedonians' poverty and affliction went away. He never mentions that whatsoever. And as he's talking to these, the church in Corinth, he doesn't mention that theirs is going to go away either because they're having rough times too. We don't give solely to make it disappear. Um, if we did, that's where our joy would be rooted in. Our joy would be rooted in easy lives and and good times and no affliction, no poverty, instead of our joy being rooted in Christ. Their joy in giving was rooted in grace and in the joy of the Lord. He said this could be a result of our giving for sure, and it is a good result of giving, but it it cannot be our primary motivation for giving. So the application for this point of why do we give, we give because of our joy. Joy in the grace of God is why we give. Joy in the gospel joy in the truth of who Christ is, joy in these, these pillars that we've been talking about all summer now. Joy in those things is why we should be committed to giving. True joy is rooted in who Christ is and in God. And our joy will be increased as others experience that joy as well. You should have joy in your giving. If you don't, it's, it's pretty much useless. So, so that's, that's why we give. That's some background on, on some of the motivations we should have for, for giving. Um, but our second main point is, is what do we give? And I, ooh, this is the point where it's like, oh, man, you should give this certain 10%, this amount, this many. I'm not going into any of that today. For, I think the first point we can see on what, on what do we give, and you can see it from this scripture as well, is we give whatever is needed. We give whatever is needed for this situation. And it can be, it can be any number of things. It could be money. It could be, um, you know, a tithe. It could be offering. It could be gifts. It could be that. Um, and I think it, it should be that a lot of the times as well. It should, that should be kind of, that's the easy way to start giving. That's the easy, in fact, that's the easiest way to start giving most of the time. Unless your situation doesn't allow for that, then hey, that's fine. That's okay. You find other ways to give. Um, but it can be in that form. And that's what the Macedonians did. They, they scrapped together everything they could find. And what's beautiful about it is they gave the amount they, pro- they had told, and then they did another offering and created, collected more gifts and gave more than what anyone even thought they could possibly give. They gave what was needed. Um, so this, you know, giving in the, form of, in the form of money, in the form of tithes, in the form of, you know, giving money to someone you see on the street, any, any of these types of giving of, of you know, monetary giving, um, it can sometimes be the easiest. It can sometimes be the hardest. Um, but it should just be it should just be the start of your giving. Um, 
because you can oftentimes use it, you can use it as a cop-out and say, no, I've, I don't need to give in any other way. I give in this way. That's, that's, that's the amount I give to, you know, to God's, to God's church, to, you know, his kingdom, to his ministry. That's, that's the amount. And that's, that's, that's all I need to do for, for this week or for this month or for this year. Um, so, so be wary of that. Um, it can be an easy way to give. It has, it, that's why it's so tough to talk about that because giving money physical in itself can be easy. It can be hard. And at the same time, it can be a, it can be a start. It can be a cop-out. It can be a lot of things. So that's why we're going to talk about a few more ways of giving. Like I said, we can give in the form of money, but we give whatever the situation needs. Um, you can give just in the form of help. In verse, um, I think it's verse 5 or 6. Yeah. Um, it says, first they gave themselves to the Lord, and then they gave themselves to us, is what Paul is writing. They showed up. They gave their, their physical presence, their, their being there. They're, that's the, another way of, of giving that they gave to them. Um, they, they used the skills and the gifts they had to, to assist them. They used um, maybe some, you know, they're, they're really good at carpentry, and they, they helped out doing, you know, fixing up some people's homes in Jerusalem. They, they, they were building, you know, Paul's a, he's a tent maker, using those skills to help people. That's, that is a, a beautiful form of giving, is using the skills that God has given you to help others. Um, it could be as simple as helping someone move when they need someone to lift a few boxes, um, help, you know, cooking a meal for someone, going, you know, scrapping together a meal for some ramen, anything. Like, it could be as simple as that, as, as providing your, your, your presence and your, your hands and your feet to help. Um, another way that you give is, is, is time. Um, and that goes along with the, the one I just talked about, but simply spending time with someone. Doesn't, that doesn't cost you anything. You can go, go for a walk, um, get outside, get, get, off, get off your phone, get off your couch, and go, go walk with someone, go talk to someone, go do something with someone. Um, all of these are ways that, that we can give. But again, it's, we give whatever is needed. Um, the second thing that we give, we give whatever is placed on our hearts. And, and this is different for every individual and every church and every society. It's different for every single situation. We give what is placed on our hearts. And, and only when our hearts are set on Christ will the things that we have set on our hearts be pleasing to God. When our hearts are set on Christ, when, when our thoughts are his thoughts, when our ways become his ways, that's when the things that are placed on our hearts are the things that God is delighted in us giving, in us, in us doing, in us helping, in us serving. It's when they're placed on our hearts. And what I love about the story of the Macedonians is that Paul Strito says they gave unexpectedly. They gave way beyond what any of us thought. Because when we are people who are committed to giving, um, the world is going to be confused. The world's not going to understand why we're doing this, why we do what we do, why we, we do any of these things. Because it's going to be unexpected and it's going to be set aside from what the world understands. This church gave what beyond what anyone thought. They gave what was in their power and their means to give. They said, this is what we have. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to give. And now, you know, Paul doesn't say that their gift is any bigger than the gift that the church at Corinth was going to give because the church at Corinth was doing better. Their gift was probably a larger sum. Their gift was probably a lot more. But the fact that the Macedonians gave as much as they did blew everyone's minds. They gave what was in their power and means to give, 
They gave what was placed on their heart, and they didn't hesitate. They didn't stop and say, whew, let me, let me take a second. Let me think about this. Let me, who is who? this, you know, next month's going to be a little tight if I give. Um, you know, if I, if, you know, I'm not going to be able to go see a movie tomorrow night and spend my time how I want to spend it if someone needs help, you know, packing up boxes early Saturday morning. If someone needs, you know, someone just needs to go and talk to someone, that's going to ruin my, my, my Saturday morning. Like, they, they didn't hesitate. And since we are, you know, in a, in a church setting and we do have, you know, regular people who, who are tied, I, I want to mention just for a second um, a little bit of how our church's budget and, and thing is modeled. And I want, I want to talk about that just for a second, not a whole lot. Um, and it is something that the past couple of years I've been trying to, to work towards for our church. And I think it's something that has, that has worked um, I, I, we've tried to model our our budget and everything to where we don't hesitate, where we don't have to hesitate. We, we, we set it up conservatively to where whenever needs pop up and someone shoots me a text and says, hey, can we give so, this much to so-and-so? Can we do this? I can just say, yeah. And don't even have to, don't, don't even have to hesitate because we, we set it up to where that's, that's part of who we are. That's part of what we're doing, um, to where we don't hesitate, to where if a needs come up, we can usually just say, yeah, sure, do it. Um, just to encourage, like, encourage you all who do give to, to Redeemer, to the church. Um, just some brief numbers and quick things. Our church has a budget of around 100000 a year is what the annual budget is for the church. Around 50% of that is straight to you know, rent and um, salaries for Aaron and Eli and then for, for Matt and Jacob, the, the four staff members we have. That, about 50% all goes to that. About 20 to 25% goes towards supplies for, you know, the kids' ministry and for, you know, coffee and for things like that. And then the other 20, 25% just goes out. It goes to different organizations, different people, different things we support. Just goes out without us even having to, it's, it's automatic. It goes. And then we do things like we we're doing this week, this fifth Sunday giving, where we're just taking that entire week of normal money that would be given to the church and, and give it out because we want to be a church that doesn't hesitate to give. We want to be people that don't hesitate if we have it in our power, we're going to do it. Um, we give the application for this point of, of what we should give. Um, I think it'd be some of this. We give joy in whatever form it needs to take. Whatever the situation requires, that's, that's what we should give. And, and we give when it may be risky. We give when it might hurt a little. We give when, um, when the world might say, "Ooh, that's that's kind of that's not a very wise wise decision for you to do that. That's not very you know safe. That's that's the point of of giving joy when in whatever situation, whatever form it needs to take, is that we're trusting in who God is to provide." Something that I've been thinking about this week is there's a song um, by this band called Towers, and it's called "Worn Out Shoes." And, and there's a line in the song that says, um, "I don't have anything left. All I have is a handful of tries." And some worn-out shoes, um, and, and I was thinking about that and thinking, let's think about this for a second. If, if can we get to the end of our lives and, and have worn-out shoes, where we don't have the nicest and the most perfect shoes, and we don't have no shoes at all either. We are we are we are supported by God. We are we are living, but but our shoes are a little worn out. We're we're helping. We're working. We're we're, we're striving. We are giving because someone who who isn't giving you know is probably gonna have the nicest shoes you've ever seen there's you know thousand dollar sneakers or whatever the preachers with sneakers i think that's a, an instagram account that's 
ridiculous. Um, but I think that's something, and again, this is, I'm not just preaching, like, I'm preaching to myself too, like, should, I think we should strive to, to daily, weekly, monthly, have, have some, you know, have a little bit of worn out shoes, um, to where we are, we are giving joy in whatever form it needs to take. And, and what, what's, what I love about this is it, it doesn't have to be something you're good at for you to, to offer it up and to give it and to help. It doesn't have to be something you're good at. Like I said, if, if you are struggling financially, like, and you can't give, that's cool, fine. Like, get that in order before you're able to give on that side of things. You may, you know, you may be terrible at lifting and packing boxes, but go help anyways. Um, you may be, you know, it doesn't have to be something you're, you're wonderful or sufficient or perfect at for you to be able to offer that up as a gift and to be able to give that. So what is, what, what, what's holding you back? Um, if it is, if it is finances, like, well, let's start, start getting those in order. Um, get to the point where you, you, you can give in that way. If it's your, your time, like maybe you need to manage your schedule a little better to where you have time to give. Um, if it's, if it's your energy and you're just tired, like take a nap, like set aside time where you can be fulfilled by your joy in Christ, be filled by God and have things to give. We give joy in whatever form it needs to take because joyful giving is about the position of your heart rather than the specific amount or the specific gift or the specific, whatever it may be. It's about the position of your heart. So the last point today is how do we give? How do we give? I think, first of all, we should give fearlessly. We should give knowing that God supplies. We should never worry about running out of grace and joy and fulfillment in who God is. If you give fearlessly, you're going to live a fearless life. And a fearless, a fearless life that, that is, is rooted in Christ is a life that's going to know his truths. It's going to know that He's never going to leave you. It's going to be a life that knows that he provides for you. It's going to be a life that knows that he is the beginning and the end of everything. And it's going to enable you to be fearless in your life, be fearless in your giving, be fearless in, in the way you help and spread joy to people. Giving fearlessly is giving despite your circumstances. These, these churches we're talking about here gave in the midst of their affliction. They gave because of their affliction. They gave because of their poverty. And it increases their giving. This is a story in, in the New Testament of the, this, this widow who shows up to the temple and she tosses in these little two mites, two coins basically that were nothing. And they say she gave more than anyone else. She gave what was in her power to give. Because the Lord gives what's in his power to give. And everything is in his power. He has given us everything, so we should give fearlessly as well. We give fearlessly. We also give freely. Um, we, should be, we should be giving and not expecting a return according to the world standards. I kind of mentioned that a while back. Um, we should have a, a readiness to give. Giving freely is giving without hesitation, giving with a readiness in a... In chapter 8, he talks about that. He says, um, if the readiness is there, the giving is acceptable before God according to what you have. If your readiness is there, you're going to give. If you, have, if you live your life with a readiness to help, a readiness to spread joy in everything, you're not going to be able to stop yourself from giving. A heart that gives freely is a heart that desires to give and to share, not a heart that desires to keep. It's a heart that holds nothing back. 
It's a heart that looks to him who held nothing back for us. We give fearlessly, we give freely, and we give joyfully. Do you feel more loved when someone begrudgingly helps you or when someone joyfully helps you? Do you feel more loved when someone mumbles and complains about having to go and do this thing or help you out with this or, you know, I'll, I'll pick up the tab this time? Or, or, or Do you feel loved when they do that? No. You feel loved when someone is, is joyfully giving. In chapter 9, it talks about how God loves a cheerful giver. And the fact that he loves a cheerful giver means that he doesn't love a grumbling giver. He, he doesn't enjoy when we give begrudgingly and, and tight-fisted and, and not wanting to give. He loves a cheerful giver. We give joyfully, and the, the ultimate example of this joyful giving is in God himself. He, he joyfully gave so much, he did not withhold his own son from us. Christ faced the cross for us, for the joy that was set before him. That verse always messes with me. The joy that was set before him. And it's not just, it's not just his joy that's set before him. It's our joy that's set before him. It's his joy. It's our joy. It's all these things. It wasn't, it wasn't money or power or, or, or anything that the devil had tried to tempt him with way back in his ministry. None of those things were set before him. Joy was set before him. His joy, our joy, that is joy and affliction. That is what someone who's committed to giving everything looks like. He gave up himself. Application for this point is that we should give like grateful children. Um, I don't have any kids. I have a couple nieces that are great, and I was raised in a family of, of five, four of them boys. So oftentimes, you know, we had, you know, fights about, you know, who's, what was fair and whose was this and what this is. And, but, but there were also those times, you know, we all had these, um, I wouldn't call it, we didn't get an allowance, but we had, you know, kind of these chores we would do. And my dad would pay us pennies on the dollar to do them. You know, like a, a dollar here to make, you know, a cup of coffee for him on a Saturday or like $5 to cut and into a huge, amount of grass for an eight-year-old like it was it, but but still like we you know we earned that money and that was ours but then think about when when you see the examples of you know a kid who you know has their little wallet or the little you know that's like you know eight dollars in it and they, they get to pay for something they, they're with their parents or they're with you know their siblings and like hey let me let, let me get this like a kid they don't have anything but they give so gratefully and so full of joy they gave with everything they have, and they're bursting forth with joy to be able to give whatever, to be able to buy, you know, buy the ice cream for their parents at the, you know, or buy a snow cone at the snow cone stand, like things like that. That's how I believe we're called to give, like grateful children who've been given everything. Because we didn't earn it. Nothing's ours anyway. We give like grateful children. So, so in closing, I have a few um, applications from this. And it, it, this is where chapter 9 comes in, and um, it's really the end of chapter 9, verses um, kind of 12, 13, 14, that range. Um, so you can go back and look at that some more, but I think an application of this is, is what, so what, what comes from our giving? Um, and I mentioned earlier that, you know, the the relief of poverty and affliction and terrible things, that's, that, that, that is an aspect of it. But 
we can clearly see what happens at the end of chapter 9 here of what comes from our giving. Number one, you'll be enabled to be even more generous. You will be able to give even more because of your giving. Number two, the Lord will be praised because of it. Those who give greatly only further display that God is the ultimate giver. These, these Christians in Macedonia, in their poverty, gave because they know there's a God who provides. The Lord will be even more praised. Number three, needs will be met. Needs in, needs in our church, needs in our community, needs in our city, needs in our country, in our world. Needs will be met through giving in whatever form it takes. Needs will be met. Number four, community is built through giving. Giving of yourselves, giving of your time, of your energy, of your money. Community is built through that. At the end of chapter 9, he talks about how they are praying and loving and affecting for each other. A community that is longing and praying for each other is a community that is encouraged by others giving. It's not a community that's made jealous, not snooty, not looked down upon other people because of how much they give or how much they didn't give or, who man, I've noticed, you know, they're looking a little rough. Like, that's, it's a community that is loving and praying and built up by each other. And the last application is that if you are in need, you need to ask. No one knows what to give if, 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 you don't know, if we don't know what the needs are. Even God wants us to ask when we pray to him. He knows our deepest and darkest desire, but still he longs for us to pray with him and communicate with him. And the same should be when we, when we have needs. Um, there are people that are ready and willing to help, just have to know what they are. Joy overflowing from God produces generosity, and it's a generosity that comes from a complete satisfaction in him. He not only gives, he gives us the ability to give, and then he gives even more after we give. He is all of it. We give because he gave it all. It's the least we can do. Let's live lives full of joy rooted in him, and we won't be able to stop ourselves from giving. Let's pray. God, as we are finishing up this series on, on the pillars of the local church, God, allow us to, to not just hear these things and go about our business, God, but allow, allow them to, to saturate our lives. Everything we've talked about over this summer, God, the things that are pleasing to you, things that are descriptions of who you are, God. Allow that to allow us to embody that in our lives, God, not only individually and as families, but as a church, as a community. Allow us to continually look for ways to give, God, in whatever way that is. Um, allow us to seek you, to seek your joy and to spread your joy through our giving, through our time, through our jobs, through everything. God, allow us to spread your joy to everyone we meet. God, because without your joy, it's it means nothing. Allow us to be a people who, are, who can be described as joyful, as happy, as, as ready to give, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's your name we pray. Amen.